What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And so to episode 101 of Soundtrack in the weekly podcast about screen music with me, Edith Bowman. And I'm delighted to say the person who joins us for the first step of our journey towards 200 is the multi-talented Paddy Considine. As well as starring in a whole variety of critical and commercial successes, Paddy wrote and directed the award-winning Tyrannosaur and also fronts his own band, Riding the Low. Now he brings us Journeyman, scored by Harry Escott and featuring music by Nick Cave and guided by voices. Journeyman tells the story of a boxer who survives a coma following a brutal fight with devastating consequences for both himself and his loved ones. Plenty more on that to come, but before we go on, we've got a great offer for you regarding Total Film Magazine, which I've personally subscribed to for years. Smart, cheeky, irreverent and probing. It's a publication that's first and foremost passionate about film. So if you're after unbiased reviews, on-set pictures and exclusive interviews with your favourite cinematic talent, you can have it direct to your door every single month. And by simply listening to soundtracking, you can get a whopping 80% off your first five issues. That's just £5 for five months. Simply head to myfavouritemagazine.co.uk forward slash soundtracking that's myfavouritemagazine.co.uk forward slash soundtracking to subscribe to Total Film, the smarter movie magazine. Unsurprisingly, in my view, Total Film very much approved of Journeyman, awarding it four out of five stars. It really is an incredibly powerful and moving drama with, pardon the pun, knockout performances from Paddy and Jodie Whittaker in the lead roles. Not that the process of bringing it to the screen was easy, as we'll discover during the course of a remarkably candid discussion. But we thought we should begin with a track called Heed by Riding the Low, since that's the outlet through which Paddy's passion for music really flourishes.
Paddy, oh, it's so great to have you on Soundtrack and thank you for coming and chatting to me. Today. You're welcome, Edith. And I know you're a massive music fan. Music's a big part of your life, not just as a fan, it's kind of, well, I think it's a lot of things for you. Yeah, I think it always has been the, the primary thing for me, <laughs> if I'm honest. As I'm wearing my Riding the Low badge, which is your band. A lot of people might not know you have a band. You're the front man. Yeah, I am, yeah. We've been going for like 11 years, I think, now. Mm -hmm. And we've done it the right way. You know, we've played all the pubs and uh, clubs and things like that. And the uh, last few years, we've been doing a lot of festivals and things. We're completely independent and just do it because I absolutely love it. It's always been that thing for me, music. It's like a pill. It has the ability to transport you within a few minutes, you know, and it can break your heart. It can uplift you. It's always been that for me. It's always been an escape. And, you know, it takes time because I think ultimately people are a bit suspicious. They think it's a bit of a gimmick, but uh, it really ain't. It even took our guitarist, Chris, a few years to... We were in the practice room one day and he, he turned to me and he went, uh, this is all from the same place, isn't it, as Tyrannosaur? And, things like that and I went yeah man what do you think I'm doing here you know this is <laughs> this is all from the same yeah. pot hit me then I'll know I don't want to live forever when I go I go I don't want to be here lost out on a soul this is not a sight for your prize when I know you know I do not belong here Love me when I don't I'm here for a long time And I wrote, I wrote it for you I'm not one to blow This is just my cloak I can't take another lifetime And I go, I think of you Film is something else. It's uh, it's a bit as a filmmaker, and that it's a, it's a lot more laborious. There's a lot bigger process. You know, um, you're having to convince people all the time or get them to trust your vision and what it is you're going to produce. But uh, m music and riding the low—that's mine. That's mm. no, that's that's my thing, and I don't have to go through through meetings with yeah. people to do it. And in that respect, it's the purest form of expression that I have. Really, it just happened that the, the acting stuff and what have you took the front seat. Why must you be away from me now, from my grasp? Cuts like razors, like the smoke in my throat. Cuts figures out and it stings like rope. I'm away.
writing lyrics since you were no not so much I was a terrible poet as a teenager I was I, I was I, I used to write my wife poems when I was 18 and they're diabolical they're awful and yet my son writes songs now he's 14 and his lyrics blow my mind because from a young age he's been listening to David Bowie Gary Newman you know Adam and the Ants and, and Guided by Voices I didn't convert him into Guided by Voices, by the way. Really? <laughs> but, so his lyrics are like, I can't believe that he's writing these things. But I didn't really find my voice anyway until I was in my mid-20s. Mm. I was sort of kicking against a kind of mental wall. I was at Brighton University doing photography. And for the first year and a half, I was just photographing boxing, which was my passion. And I thought, I'm going to be a boxing photographer. You know, I'm going to travel to Vegas and photograph the big fights. I didn't understand how to express that, what it was that I was feeling in my heart and soul. Mm -hmm. But I had a breakthrough. I did a project midway through my second year. I'd had a letter threatening that they were going to kick me off the course if I didn't get my shit together by Easter. I knew it was a warning. Um, I, I knew it was a kick up the backside. I, I, I didn't think it was a real threat. Myself and a couple of friends got it too. And I said, lads, come on, we're not the, we're not the worst here, man. These guys are, are trying to get us to get in gear and, yeah. and get our shit done. And I went home and I photographed my house. You know, I, photo I did a project on my house and on my parents in particular. And they were inspired by photographs that one of my lecturers, Paul Reese, took. And he'd done a photograph of his dad, who I think travelled a lot, and, and he had his suit hanging up in a clear plastic bag. It looked like a body bag, you know, to me. It looked like the death of somebody. Yeah. And there was something about that one image that resonated with me that I went, I can do that. I can tell that story about my parents. So, And that was the big breakthrough. That's when I became an artist. I always say that I've never been afraid of, of saying that I'm an artist. I think it's a badge you should wear with pride. I think kids who've come from a working class background are a bit ashamed, but I'm like, I wouldn't know what else to call myself. And I, and I feel proud of it. But I became an artist at, at Brighton University. It was a really great moment for me. Yeah. How do you know when you want to express yourself when you're writing to write something that may be a short or feature or that you know that's going to go towards the music side of things? You're just writing because in some of the songs, there's references to Tyrannosaur and... And there's references to Journeyman and, and other things that I'm doing. I write a lot of songs, actually, when I'm, when I'm away working. Uh, Chris will send me, like, demos or Justin, our drummer, even put stuff together. Yeah. And then I'll, and I'll write the songs when I'm away. So there's little things, little inflections of whatever I'm experiencing go into those songs. But, you know, I found myself in, in being involved in film. I wanted to make films. I didn't want to act in them particularly. That was Shane that, that switched that on in me. I can't believe you'd never had a inclination to... Talk. I kind of did. I think what it was, Edith, I grew up in a, in a house with a big family and it was full of noise <laughs> and it was full of turmoil. I was an absorbent little kid. I was taking in all this stuff. Mm. It's like whatever was going on within those walls, I absorbed it. And there was something within me that felt like... I always felt like I was underwater and I just... I wanted to be seen. Now, that doesn't mean I wanted to be seen in a show-offy kind of way. I wasn't a show-off kid. I felt like a piece of shit when I was a kid, you know? Mm. And I felt dirty and unclean. And, and these were all things that I felt within myself. You know, when I was a little boy, my mum bathed me and cleaned me and things like that. But 
and maybe I felt ashamed of where I where I was from, mm. N- not my area, not not my people, my friends. You know, but we were we were kind of raised on on social security, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I just developed all these sort of uh, ideas about myself and, and and all this sort of shame about myself. And I think through my teens in particular, I just developed this idea in my head of like, I just want people to know that I'm not stupid, that I'm not thick. And so when I was a teenager, I had an art teacher who was great with me, Margaret Balderson. And she she sort of uh, got me to audition for the production of Grease at school, you know. Brilliant. And for the first time, I wasn't doing it to be a peacock. Yeah. I just wanted to be seen. I wanted them to say, hey, this kid's not yeah. an idiot. And I also had an English teacher, Miss Laws, that I wrote for. I just, I would write for her. She was like a muse. And I, and I just, because I'd been so terrible to her when I was a, a younger kid in the first year, I was such a horrible little kid to her, really, yeah. that I wanted to somehow atone or apologize for it. And so I'd write for her. Wow. And, um, and these people reacted to what it was that I was writing. So I was just looking for somebody to say, well done, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah. Who did you play in Greece? I played Kaniki. Nice. Yeah. And I just thought I thought I'll play Danny, but <laughs> but an older kid played Danny who was leaving school, you know. Yeah. But I was definitely the coolest. <laughs> so I played that, you know. In a way, Kaniki was typecasting, you know, even back then. And uh, I played Kaniki, but I remember, like Mr. Vernon as well, Peter Vernon. He was a he was a really lovely man, and we were doing the rehearsals for. Greece, and he came over to me and he put this sheet music in my hand with, with the lyrics on it and I, and I looked at it and it said Grease Lightning and I said, what's this? And uh, I said, I don't sing this, Danny does because you're doing the play. <laughs> and I went, oh shit, you know, like, <laughs> but it was amazing and it was one of those moments when he, he got on the old piano and that and, and I started doing this Elvis thing and it was one of those moments where something came out yeah. and, and it was great, but I don't know, I went to college to do acting and that's where I think I started to become a bit disillusioned and... Mm. I just thought, I, I, this isn't for me. I'm not, I'm not really a, a performer like that, you know. So I left college. We, we played in our band and ultimately I was on the dole. I had no direction, really. I didn't know what to do with myself. At that point, I'd, I was 18 years old and I'd met my wife. Who, you know, we got married years later and I was just kicking my heels thinking, what do I do with, with my life? And so I just, I went back to college, but I wasn't on a course. I just had a box with... Um, crayons in and things and pastels and shit like that and I used to just get the bus every day to college and I'd walk into college sit in a class and draw shit and I was there for weeks and you couldn't do it now and I knew the lecturers there because I'd been there previously but I was there for weeks until it was Colin Higgins who appeared in 24-7 in Romeo Brass he was Mm -hmm. our film studies teacher Wow! and he turned to me and he goes what what course are you on anyway (laughs) And I just thought, course of life, mate. I'm busted. I'm busted. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, looking back, why didn't I just go and say, can I join a course, please? Yeah. But it was like a refuge. You could kind of do that. It was like a youth club or something. I just wanted to be anywhere other than at home at that point. And he just said, uh, come on. And I admitted to him, I said, Colin, I'm not on any course. And he said, come on, let's get you signed up to film and video. Brilliant. So that's how you could do it. In yeah. them days, you know, I feel blessed for that. It feels though that you've kind of, you know, you you mentioned way back when you, you know, at college when you were taking pictures of 
of boxing and from your writing you just you're observing people and you're really taking everything in yeah the smallest thing to the biggest thing as well and, and lovely full circle in terms of you've made this film with boxing being a background to yeah. it, the journey man which you know how much i love the film yeah and, and i'm so glad to see it getting a, a great response now that anybody can get it yeah do you know what i mean which is brilliant and with that is music form part of it? Are you do you have music on when you're writing, or do you have to have? Are you silence? Yeah, I rarely write with music on, but mm. but it's like anything. Once you start to form an idea, and then and then characters start to form, and uh, you start to get this imagery coming through, and then it's almost like any anything that around you starts to get sucked in. It's like <laughs> you become this black hole, you know. And then all, 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 every song has meaning about the very thing that you're you're writing about. So you just start to absorb everything. And what I do is I just I start to compile playlists of songs that relate certain lines in it might relate to the characters they might might relate to the tone of the piece they might relate to the memories of certain characters mm. so i do form a playlist it's not one that i generally send out to the cast and stuff but sometimes those films that it's not even that they're intended to appear in the film yeah but i just have them as a little backdrop and i find that inspiring so whereas i don't put a song on and write i definitely listen to songs and compile lists mm. of songs because um they also give you imagery and ideas and they're very emotive too. So, and most of my writing's done when I'm walking in the fields with the dog and I'm playing music and it starts to evoke imagery. And when you start to sort of get an idea, it, it, it's almost like your, your soul will begin to tell you when it's time. It, it's, it's very strange. I speak to writers all the time and, and I realise more and more that not many work the way that I work and I have to hold on to the... It might not make me a rich man, but I have to hold on to the unique way that I do things, yeah. you know. But you become pregnant with an idea and then you start to dream about it and you get to the point where it tells you almost, right, sit down, you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hmm, I'm going to go into territory here. But <laughs> it's, not, it's almost like it's not even you, yeah. is what I'm saying. It's... Uh, you, you're the you're the person that comes in and questions it. You're the editor. This thing that you're given is a kind of a gift. You just get the gift of being having the ability to hear it and to tell the story. And you have to honour it. It's like an energy when you write something and you create and you make a film. You're you, you you're creating a little universe, and that universe has energy. And you have to. All you have to do is honour that energy. You have to honour it. Mm. And I'm not a smart-ass writer. I'm not a smart-ass filmmaker. And some critics would think that's to my detriment. But all I do is listen to that thing, that mm. voice, that intuition. I had all kinds of things written in Journeyman. I had premonitions. I had family members. I, I had a totally different version of that film where family were all around Matty. Yeah. Everybody was all around him, helping him. And and all I had was um, as was the lead character sat in the middle doing nothing for himself. I tried to shoehorn things into that film. And at every step, that energy said, I don't want this. I don't want it. I just want you to tell this story. Mm. Where that is from, I don't know. In, in ancient times, they called it your demon, you know? And it's not that I, uh, you know, people use this word genius. I don't know too many. I'm not a genius. I just have to listen. Yeah. And I realize that I'm not the genius. This energy is the thing. And I just have to honor it. And that's how I live my life. That's how I choose to view creativity. And you take it and you take whatever you've absorbed through all those years for the things that you're seeing now. And you're just a container and you absorb it, you absorb it. And sometimes that means you suffer mentally. You suffer in certain ways because of that. But you're absorbing and you just get heavy with it. And it's coming out your pores and then you sit your ass down and then you spew it out. And that's how I work. Amazing. 
you know? Yeah. When you're thinking about music within the film and stuff, and particularly with Journeyman and, and working with, with Harry Escott, who we talked about on the show recently with Clive Bernard, because, yeah. you know, the Arbor and stuff like that, and yes. the amazing stuff. It's really subtle in the film, and that's the thing, and getting that, it's such a fine thing to get right, isn't it? And, and I think it's brilliant the way that you've done that, and then also the use of, you know, for example, Nick Cave and Into My Arms yeah. and stuff, which, you know, our, my first child was born to that song, so yeah. it's kind of like got personal kind of, like, I mean, I feel myself welling up just thinking about it. Anyway, but yeah, when you're, when you're thinking about music and placement in the film and stuff, do you find it easier, or is it quite a hard thing to manoeuvre? For saying how much uh, I love music, and I write music with the guys mm. and I, I find that the most difficult thing to do in filmmaking is yeah. where to place music and certain songs yes I think Into My Arms was in very early in the mix I actually had a different song there I had an elbow track in there early on which was still a beautiful song switching off is this making sense what am I trying to say something about into my arms that uh, you know there's something about Nick Cave that brings you to your knees you know his songs have been a gift when times have felt dark yeah he's a conduit for that he's an amazing man an yeah. artist he's been through it yes you know and, yes and he's not afraid to go there in terms of what he's writing about and absolutely well well that and also when he spoke about well, come back to what you said yeah. but when, in, in the documentary the film that they made there's a scene at the end where he's standing on the beach and he talks about the summoning of the demons and things like that and that was a that was a revelation to me because he spoke directly to my sensibility in my heart and I'm going that's it that's what we do that's what I do you know you've got to go into the darkness you have you, you know you've got to go into the belly of the whale and the beautiful thing is when you, you come out for a bit of air you know I don't believe been an interventionist God But I know, darling that you do But if I did I would kneel down and ask him to intervene when it came to you well not to touch a hair in your head leave you as you are if he felt he had to direct you and direct you into my arms I'm not saying you have to torture yourself every time you do something that's not the point but it's fluid my beautiful friend Tony Pitts puts it in a way he says you have to wrestle with this thing that's what it is you have to fight with it you know it can't just be some easy road but into my arms was in then pretty early on and i don't believe in the existence of angels looking at 
if that's true That if I did I would summon them together And ask them to watch over you Well, to each burn a candle for you to make bright and clear your path And to walk like Christ in grace and love And guide you into my arms And I put a Guided by Voices song in there that I walked to the ring to. I had a charlatan song, which was great. It was How High, which is a fantastic oh, song. song My wife said to me... Because I love them. Yeah, because I love them. <laughs> and and, and Shelley said to me, do you think Matty Burton would listen to Guided By Voices? And I said, ah, come on, yeah, forget all that. I said, this is for me. If I was going to walk out to the ring, I'm walking out to Guided By Voices. So, you know, when I did Tyrannosaur, the Damien Dempsey song, Sing All Our Cares Away, that was in, on the word go, that was in the first cut. Wow. Mary loves the grouse, hides the butlers round the house. She watches chachos and the soaps, broken hearted but she copes. Michael's out of walk, feels he's sinking in the morgue. He's unshaven and a mess Finds it hard some days to dress Stevie's smashed to death Cause he can't express himself He's consumed by rage 
child has a lovely little smile but this means nothing to our father because he's never even seen her we see Nick Hammond's song, The Leisure Society song, yeah. We Were Wasted, that was in. So they never came and went. And I will close my eagle eyes Hang up my skin to dry We were wasted, son to Harry. Harry had passed upon the chance to do Tyrannosaur and it was something that he told me he'd regretted. And we had another composer on uh, on Journeyman and uh, first of all a friend of mine was having a look at it and it was, he's over in America, it wasn't working, mm -hmm. I, you know, and then we had another composer on it and they basically left. They didn't, on the day that they were supposed to turn up and spot the film and look at it, they didn't come up and they, they left and did a big Hollywood film. So I was in trouble with it, you know, and I thought, what am I going to do? And the only person I could think of was Harry Escott. And I thought, I wonder if he'd do this one. And I've got to say, he saved the day. He saved the day. I, I just wanted something subtle and something that complemented the film. And that's all I say to anybody is like, you, you just have to compliment it. It's not about you. It's, it's, it's not about me. Mm. It's about this thing. And, yeah. and all we've got to do is compliment it. We can't embellish it, we've just got to serve it. And Harry did that brilliantly.
understood what I was after. He was great to work with, you know, just tiny little notes and moves. There was no sort of resistance. It was, it was just so beautifully collaborative with him. Yeah. And um, that's, I just want to work with people like that. You know, why can't we do that? <laughs> yeah, why is it so hard <laughs> and, I, and I say this, um, and I kind of mean it, you know, because, it, because he came in at the last, pretty much the last minute, he kind of saved the film for me. So I, I, I've got a lot of love for Harry and, and I really appreciate what he did. I love as well on your um, on your social media where you throw up images of films every now and again that yeah. you've either watched recently or you're a massive fan of. Things like The Exorcist, yeah. the thing with Mark Carmode and stuff, which you kind of <laughs> loved, and Nightmare on Elm Street and things like that. And were those kind of important films to you growing up? Yeah, they were massively. I mean, there's another sort of line of films that talk about all that horror stuff in a minute but I think when I was a kid I you see I grew up I remember seeing Stephen Frears Walter on the first night of Channel 4 wow. and I told him I met him McKellen once at something and I told him that and he goes you're too young to to see that <laughs> and I'm like that is a great <laughs> McKellen impression <laughs> and I'm like I saw it I, I, I fucking yeah. saw it and so I, I, when I even when I was a, a kid I, I was watching films like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yeah. I say a kid you know in my early teens and films like The Elephant Man and The Champ and Rocky, those were the things that shaped my life, I think. Rocky had a massive impact on me. I identified with all that stuff, mm. coming from that neighbourhood, just wanting to show the neighbourhood that you're not a bomb and all that stuff. I used to walk around the streets rolling my shoulders like Rocky and <laughs> thought I was Rocky Balboa. I thought, yeah, maybe I could be a boxer. Then I got punched and went, maybe not. Maybe there's something else for me to do out there. <laughs> Those were very important films for me, and I can remember watching The Champ with, with my with my family. I know my mum was there and a couple of friends, and I looked around and they were crying their eyes out. And I think in that moment I realised the impact that, that storytelling can have on other mm. people. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that. I never forgot how Rocky made me feel. Mm -hmm. I never forgot how The Elephant Man made me feel. And of course, through the 80s, I watched all those films. I watched the Back to the Futures and all that kind of stuff. It was great fun, and I loved all of that. But I always came back to those kind of films. In a world that loves a winner, John Voight 
is the champ. You know what I did with the money? Oh, gambling. Yeah. Gambling? Yeah, that's right. I went gambling again. Some things never change. John Voight and Faye Dunaway. The champ. She's mine? Yeah. All mine? Yeah, yeah. She's all yours. For the champ, there is always more to win and more to lose. What are you doing here now? What do you want to do? After seven years, you want to come back. What do you want to do? Hold his hand? I'm real. I am his mother. No, you're not my mother. You don't live with us. You're not married to champ. I'm taking this fight, Jackie, for me and my boy. I gotta do something for my boy. Everyone he loves. He has to win. I saved this for you for seven years. The gloves of a champion. Everything he wants, he has to fight for. Come on, let's go. What's the hold up here? I forgot to get something for you. What do you got in the box? I'll show you later. I suppose The Exorcist was one that, when I was a kid, you see, it was banned. It was you couldn't see it, so it became this cult film that you know, you word would go around Winsel that such and such has got a copy of The Exorcist. So eventually, I watched it, and I'd already formed this terror in my mind about that film. And when I watched it, it formed an even greater terror in me. <laughs> and um, when I was older. I come to really appreciate because the effects age, you know, special effects yeah. and things age. But I really came to appreciate the writing, the craftsmanship of of uh, Freakin's directing, and the incredible performances. Because what's happening in that bed now could look pretty ridiculous, but I still think it's far more effective than a lot of the the horror movies today. It's almost like now we have all this CGI. There's too many options. Yeah. There's too many. Ways of doing things, and you can pretty much do what you want. And to me, I don't think that's a great thing. I think the limitations of what they had making The Exorcist is what makes it still work for me today. Yeah. And the performances are absolutely fantastic in it. So I grew up with those films, and I, I was—I've always been a fan of horror, and Nightmare on Elm Street in particular. I loved, and I didn't understand what it was until I was older. And it's the same with it, with Pennywise the Clown. Those films are about fear. Those films are about the ego, the hungry ghost, and the more you feed it, the more elaborate it becomes. The greater it becomes, the greater a threat. But when you see through the illusion of fear, it dissipates. It becomes weak and ridiculous, and that's ultimately what we are. Those films are about the human condition more than anything else.、Mm. They're about our perception of fear, and it's great for it too. When Nancy pulls Freddy out into consciousness and brings him into the real world, he's weak. You know, she、mm. turns her back and. He just disappears, and that's where it should have ended. <laughs> <laughs> and, But I think they're great metaphors. I think that's why they still have a power now. And the music of those films, as well, is equally as important. Yeah. Well, I love hearing those stories that that、uh, Freakin tells about tubular bells. You know, about struggling with the music for The Exorcist, <laughs>、yeah. and then he hears of all things tubular bells. And I can't, I can't listen to tubular bells. <laughs> I, I don't want that in my head. You know, at certain times of the, of the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you think, wow, that's incredible. Those stories are just—it feels like they're becoming very few and far between. Those opportunities、mm. for those beautiful accidents to happen.
you know, my kids love, I've got a daughter who's nine and she loves horror films and she loves horror characters. The other week she met Robert England. Oh, wow. You know, and she had all the claws on and the hat. She had the stripy jumper on. She had it all on. Amazing. Yeah. And people look like, you know, the kids watch this and I'm like, she dissects it, she breaks it down and, and she has a bit of an understanding beyond her years in some ways. But I was on my, um, you know, iPod the other day and uh, they downloaded the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack and Nancy's theme was on there, you know. And it's so sort of electric <laughs> and... <laughs> You know. Charles Bernstein, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and you yeah. kind of listen to it and go, this is kind of, on its own, it's kind of crazy. You want to <laughs> yeah, quote yeah, this yeah. With, a, with a horror film. Hey, Nancy. No running in the hallway. <laughs> That's the brilliant thing about music and film a lot of the time. There's sometimes where you can put a soundtrack album on and it's brilliant. And it kind of like, it's just like putting an album on of some artist. But there's yeah. sometimes that, that you put it on and you kind of go, what? But you don't realise that kind of obscureness of it whilst it's within the film because it's so perfectly yeah, matched it's with placed. the images and the, yeah. Yeah, I I, I kind of, it, it's strange because I it, this is another thing that I have too. I don't really hear music when I watch a film I remember I, you saying that yeah and I'm, I'm sure people think what what's that all about you know and but I don't yeah it, it, I'm, I'm watching this film and it's almost background to me and I think that's probably where it where it should stay almost you know mm -hmm. just as a, a embellishing what it is we're going that's yeah. going on but then yeah then certain songs just stick out and then they're forever associated with with that particular film. Yeah, you said um, earlier when you were when you wanted to put "Guided by Voices" in Journeyman that Shelley went, "Yeah, but would Marty listen to that?" Yeah. And I love doing that, where you take characters and you go, "I wonder what would be on there." There. So I've got a list of characters you've played. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind telling me what you reckon they might listen to. Um, Graham Purvis from Submarine. Oh my good God! <laughs> I am the G-Man. I don't know, maybe a bit of Dire Straits, yes. that sort of thing. You know? I reckon he'd listen to my Coldfield. Yeah, definitely. He's got tubular bowels on a loop. <laughs> yes, that sort of thing. A bit of Dire Straits. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of tubular bowels. DS Andy Wainwright. I wouldn't have a clue what that guy listens to. Probably I ABBA. Think, what I, are you thinking? I was about to say Donna Summer's hot stuff. Some Something like that, yeah. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Still waiting for that. That spin-off film, the Andy's yeah, spin-off film. Yeah, let's see. I don't think it's ever going to happen. happen. <laughs> um, Richard, Dead Man's Shoes. I don't, think he, he, I don't think he listens to any music. No? No. God rest his soul. Um, <laughs> Ledonk. Anything. Ledonk listened to anything. He's one of those guys who, who's any music, whatever the flavour, whatever the genre, man, I'm there. Yeah. He's a shameless whore, Ledonk. <laughs> 
you, there's certain artists that mean the world to you. You've guided by voices we've touched on, but you're a massive fan of Gorillaz and I Damon Albarn. Yeah, I love Damon. Yeah, Adamant as well was a big inspiration. For yeah, as well. massive. Yeah. What is it that you connect with with artists and music? Do you think? I don't know. I think I think with with sort of with Damon in particular, and and with Bob Pollard, the, the one thing that they have in common is that they're incredibly prolific. They've always got something coming out. They're always on the move. They don't seem to be guys that sit around thinking, what do I do with myself next? And I think I have an appreciation of, of that because that's how I feel about how I want to do things too. So I think I can identify with that. And I think the thing with Damon too, I've been a long, since the beginning, I've been a, well, since Leisure. Yeah. I've been a, a fan of Blur and I've been a fan of everything that Damon's done over the years. And there's something incredible about what he did with Gorillaz, how transferring from Blur to that and seeing the sort of chaos that he created. If you see the documentary Bananas and this sort of chaotic thing, it was like this spewing out of all this stuff. It was like he was, he was free to just play and, and go crazy. And, and that first Gorillaz album came out of it. And obviously him and Jamie have the idea of, of taking this, this cartoon band, which I think probably made, gave Damon the chance to sit back a bit. Yeah. I just love how the, the creativity of gorillas, the collaborative nature of gorillas, the fact that they look like a massive tribe. And I look at that and I go, that's something I, I, I would love to be a part of that, that energy, that creativity. And I know some of those guys now. I know, I know Remy who you know, produced on the last album and, and, and the Now Now. And they're great people mm. and they're, they're fun people to be around. And, um, there's just something about him as a songwriter that there's been so many moments of my life that his songs have been poignant to me as well. He writes some very, very beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah, whatever it is he's doing, whether it's Gorillaz, solo stuff, Blur. Good, the Bad and bad, the Queen. Yeah, all, and the amount of songs. Operas. That, yeah, operas, the stuff he's written, um, Wonder Dot Land and, and, yeah. and Monkey. The amount of songs he's collaborated on. Yeah. Other people's material and... You know, you can just go on iTunes and put in Damon Arbot and all this other stuff comes up and you go, how many... How many is it of them? Tracks has he played on, <laughs> huh? How many collaborations, you yeah. know? And he's just a phenomenal... I think he's a phenomenal talent to keep doing that and to keep hitting it out of the park. And Bob Pollard is somebody that... When I first heard Guided by Voices, I did not get it. I didn't get it. Mm. And I, I played it a few times and I didn't get it. And then one day I was in, I was in a hotel in New York and... I put on Mag Earwig and I pressed play and Not Behind the Fighter Jet came up and whatever it was, I have no idea, but I just went, what did he just say? <laughs> and that was it. It was done. Now I've got Guided by Voices and Bob tattooed on my right arm. <laughs> now I just listen to Guided by Voices pretty much every day.
but I think that's beautiful that, you know, my first listen was me going, I don't get this. But then Bob became the greatest artist and probably one of the biggest inspirations on me ever. There was something about his lyrics, his attitude, his, his kind of work rate that opened something up in my head that I thought, God, songwriting, there really are no rules to this. I think music, art, all of it just gets hijacked by intellectuals. And it's not intellectual. It's not an intellectual thing. It's, it's, emotional a, thing. it's an emotional thing and it's a feeling. I was a kid when punk came out. I can't say I was a punk. I was a little shit, but I want a punk. And one of the blessings was I grew up in a house with loads of music, brother and sisters, listening to Bowie, ELO, the specials, all of it. And I forget my point. <laughs> <laughs> About but, connecting but, but, you know, The connection yeah. with punk was me going, anybody can do this. So, so when it came to Adam and the Ants, you know, that was the revelation scene, that's me. So when I got older and I watched the documentary The Filth and the Fury and Johnny Rotten at the beginning's going, get off your arse, that spoke to me even in my 20s. It's like, yeah, get off your arse and do it. This is for everybody. Punk gave everybody the chance to pick up a guitar. Yeah. You can do this. And there was bands where I grew up, you could hear them practicing in their sheds because of punk. I think that's an incredible thing. Mm. To, to, and, and particularly when you look at the Manchester scene and see the explosion that happened after the Pistols played and apparently all of Manchester was there. But when they played, it, it, it was this explosion. And, and these working class kids went, I can do that. I'm doing that. I want to stand up there and do that. They made it feel like it could be done. And I think that's what I felt when I, when I listened to Bob. I never wanted to be a frontman of a band. I'd never written a song. I could arrange them pretty well. I was in bands before and I was pretty good at structuring them. But um, it opened a door in my head and I went, I can do this. I can be just like Bob. I can. So I put a, in the live set, I put a, a little, the odd high kick in there. In honour of Bob <laughs> Pollard, because it's a steal, but I wouldn't write songs if it wasn't for him. You're about to head to New York with Ferryman. Yeah. Good luck with that. It's going Thank to be you. awesome. <laughs> it was brilliant. I came to see it when it was in London. It was, it was amazing. What's next? Do you know what you do next after that? Uh, I don't know. There's a possibility I might direct a, a film in America. Oh, wow. And it would be the first time it would be something that I haven't written. You know, I'm not sure about that yet. I don't make films by committee. And um, I don't, not sure if I want to enter that world, if I'm honest with you, but it's something that, that's up there for discussion. But I'm also writing other things. If I'm perfectly honest with you, when Journeyman came out earlier this year, I just went into a, a bit of a depression for months. And, and I thought, what's the point? You know, there was such a sort of tepid reaction and people couldn't get to a cinema to see it. It didn't get massive distribution. And as a filmmaker, you're going, what's the point? You know, you make things so that people will see them. And as a yeah. filmmaker here, I just thought, is there much point to doing this? You know, why don't I just make things and put them on telly? Why go through all this process of um, doing what, what's perceived to be cinema when, you know, it, it, it would find its audience on television and, uh, and DVD? Because ultimately, you know, you want it 
you want it to be seen. Yeah. Yeah, I only just made peace with that film just a couple of days ago. And it was the reactions of people that made me find the peace. And, 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 and there's somehow in yourself you're supposed to not rely on that. Yeah. It's not about what people say. And you're supposed to feel some, some satisfaction within yourself. But I didn't. I felt incredibly disappointed by it. But it's my own fault. I said to my producer, Dermot, on the set, I said, you know, this film is not going to go the same route as Tyrannosaur, don't you? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, that did all the festivals. It won all these awards. I said, this film's not going to do that. And uh, he said, no. And I said, no. I said, this is for the people. And it kind of came true. Yeah. Because, I, you know, Journeyman... Nobody wanted it. You know, Tyrannosaur went to all these festivals, won all these awards, did all this. I didn't expect it to do the same. I really didn't. Mm -hmm. I'm not that stupid, but nobody wanted it. No festivals wanted it. The festivals we'd been to with the first film, and I thought, have I made a terrible film here? You know? And I just thought, what the fuck is wrong with this? And I just, and I, and I did the worst thing I could, an artist could do. I started to apologise for my film. And I thought, maybe I've made an absolute pile of shit. You haven't, and you know you haven't, because the response that it's getting yeah. now that the people are actually getting to see it, I'm glad that you've kind of, you know, got peace with it, because you should do. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but I've definitely got some peace with it. And that's, that's because of the reaction it's had. Because now it's finding its audience. Oh, it's unbelievable the response to it. You've got to feel really proud of that. Yeah, I do now. Good. I do. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> um, have a great time in New York. Thanks, Edith. Um, always a pleasure, my dear. Thank you for your time. Cheers, hey, Paddy. Bless Thank you. you. Well, this is a good you pay well oh it isn't what it was she's thinking he looks different today Leave Before the Lights Come On by Arctic Monkeys, the video for which features Paddy Constantine and is well worth checking out if you haven't seen it already. My huge thanks to Paddy for taking the time to talk to us so frankly about himself and his art on soundtracking. Journeyman is available on home entertainment formats now and comes highly recommended. Now we'll put on our Spotify playlist for the show via edithbowman.com which is also the place you can catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and don't forget that great offer for a total film subscription. Myfavouritemagazine.co.uk forward slash soundtracking is where to head for your special discount. Next up is award-winning British writer-director Sasha Gervaisi, who I first came to know about through his brilliant documentary, Anvil. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company there.